Good day, everyone, and welcome to New Matter, the SLAS podcast where we interview life science luminaries. I'm your host, SLAS Scientific Director Marshall Brennan. And today, we're chatting with pharmaceutical company veteran Julio Martin. Welcome, Julio. Hello. Thank you for the invitation, Marshall. Yeah, it's really great to have you. So for our uh, listeners, Julio has uh, you know nearly 30 years experience at GSK alone, and his accomplishments there are long enough that we would run out of time if I tried to enumerate them. Um, so instead, I was wondering, Julio, if you could give us a uh, overview of your experience, both you know at GSK, what got you there, and uh, give us a little bit of flavor of the the science you did. Yeah, uh, very pleased to to do it. Yes, you're right. So I've been I've been uh, working for a big pharma for uh, almost 30, 30 years. I started as a very young and uh, recent PhD in symbology by background. And then uh, five years later, I became a manager in the organization. And I'm saying that because uh, this has been, I think, two clear uh, milestones in my, in my career that have uh, had significant influence in everything later on. So it's when you look backwards, when you see that all the dots are connected, as Steve Jobs said. So very quickly, I realized that being a manager is not the same as being a scientist. So then I had to be self-trained as a manager with the help of also the organization. And this has been my, my driver since scientific innovation plus uh, management, management of innovative organizations and, and teams. So I started in antimicrobials. Then I moved to high tech, I would say part of the R&D in pharma, which is high-throughput screening. And then, then it was when I strengthened my relationships with, uh, with SALS, you know, because it was at the core of my, of my, of my job. But I've been involved with SALS since, since then. And over the last uh, 10 years or so, I've been very much involved in open innovation. So I've been involved in bringing people together, uh, gluing all different cultures around this for a common purpose. So, and this, I think, is a good summary of what I feel I am and I've been growing up, is an innovative scientist who really cares uh, the style of the way that we manage. By the way, I've been a basketball player. My position was a playmaker. So in two words, I can define myself as a playmaker scientist because I work in teams for the teams. So that's, yeah, that's a summary of uh, what I am and what I've been doing. That's great. And thank you so much for that overview. So you mentioned the transition to becoming a manager as being a pivotal moment in your career. And I think that's interesting because I think a lot of young scientists imagine that their uh, their careers will keep them in the lab for an extended period of their time, and that, um, and that really succeeding, especially in a company, means being a top scientist. But what I think a lot of people discover is that the better you are at the science, the more quickly you're transitioned into managing people. And there's a bit of a disjoint in that skill set. And I, I understand that you have some strong opinions about this. Could you tell me a little bit about your experience in making that transition and what you think about? You know, scientists becoming managers. Yeah, that's that's true. And actually, I forgot to say that. Uh, yeah, I left GSK in July, so now I am a freelance. So that means that I could 
I can be more challenging in the, about the, the, the what I've seen, how we have learned. I mean, the decision about selecting the best manager because he or she was a very good scientist, it might be a wrong decision. Actually, it's not a well-informed decision because you don't know about the abilities of this guy to become a, a manager. But it's the fact that you don't have most of the organizations, I would say, don't have um, parallel ladders in the careers of, uh, of the employees there is because everything is one single ladder where you mix where you mix science and management. And these are two completely different roles. So you can lose a very good scientist and win an awful manager by doing so. So the two tips for this is first, if um, self-realization of that particular person that he or she will ha- have to invest on their training, their own training. And second is for the organization to support this training and, and education. And I think that, yeah, the, the organizations, the, the enterprises, the companies should implement a way of having, not completely, but alongside careers, ladders for people in management and people in, in science without interfering. Because you need to get the best out of both profiles. Right. I think um, your uh, ladder comparison is pretty apt there too, because part of the issue is, you know, you you have managers who manage managers and managers who manage managers that manage down to scientists. You know, there's some number of levels removed, and you need you obviously need those folks who are managing scientists to understand science, but then you also like you said, you risk promoting out your best scientific talent. And so it's a catch-22. Can you mm. tell me what, something about that uh, organization? Is there a better way to go about that, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think I think so. There's an, another thing to add is that there are scientists who don't want to leave the lab, right? They are happy mm-hmm. there. They are yeah, productive even if there are good managers. But however, yeah, but however <laughs> you are, they are, or you are obliged them to sacrifice their career and the promotion in the company if they don't leave the lab. So it's not even fair. Yeah, so how, how to do it? I mean, my idea is, uh, or my vision on our organization of teams and departments is flattening this, is to have um, a flat organization. I mean, we tend to feel more comfortable if we have control on all the activities. That means that we create a hierarchy just because we feel more comfortable with that is the old style of uh, you know of the industrial revolution, the first industrial revolution in which everything was uh, oriented and driven by productivity and efficiency, uh, and this kind of control and standardization might work for that. At the end of the last century, we have lived another revolution, industrial revolution. Someone say that the three point not zero revolution which is the revolution of uh, the connectivity of the communications of, of the information. So that means that everything is connected, but it's connected in a network. It's not connected in a pyramid. So, okay, so you have to build organizations which can create new patterns of order of relationships, which is, are not top-down or are not right. vertical. So you are important if you as a node in that network are is important. That means that you can be a manager and you can work next to another node, which is who is a scientist. And mm-hmm. if you are a good manager, I mean your node is important. You will have to be 
to be paid, you know, yeah. according to that, if that's, that's what is the, the motivation, you know. And you're important and you add value because of the importance in your note. It's not because of, of the tier, uh, you right. know, or the step in the ladder where, where you are. I think that's, of course, you have to create, there's not a good or bad way of organizing. If you premise on your driver is efficiency, productivity, maybe the tendency will be something control, more hierarchical. But if it's creativity and innovation, and this is what R&D at the end of the day is, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that is self-organization in a plane, so horizontal kind of connection. That's the way of articulating the your organization. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think that's, especially as we start seeing you know tools for remote workers now, you know, this whole node theory about, you know, networking people together. Um, certainly here at SLES, we've taken advantage of a lot of these resources to maximize our productivity. And it becomes the idea of looking at things as a network as opposed to a ladder definitely emphasizes collaboration, right? It's harder to mm-hmm. build a silo if it's not vertical. Exactly. <laughs> and so, so I guess... And then you have, and Marshall, and then you have the black holes. So you have... <laughs> right. uh, and most of these black holes are managers, you know? Mm-hmm. You have that instead of being lights in the organization, they are shadows. <laughs> they, are pro- they are not projecting right. lights, they are projecting shadows. And if they are above, you know, the area of their shadow will be much higher than if they are in the network, you know? Right. Well, and, that, and that's the thing too, is that, you know, when we think about how the hierarchical structure can insulate people from receiving feedback about their management too, you know, one of the the things that's the hardest to acknowledge sometimes is that you are better suited and perhaps happier at a role that is, you know, quote unquote, beneath your station. But based on what you're saying is a lot of the times these things are only beneath their station because we've decided based on some corporate philosophy that they fall below the other in the ladder. And it takes a lot of guts to make that change. But realistically, you know, if the right person is in the right role and being their most productive, and that's really the biggest win for the organization, right? Exactly. There's no doubt. I do have one question from your perspective is that this is great from the perspective of being an employee in this. But if I if I'm trying to enact this in my team group organization company, the first question that I can imagine that the person who's currently at the top of the pyramid will ask is, how do we enforce accountability? So what, what's your perspective on that? How do we make sure that the work actually gets done in accordance with that sort of shared goal? Yeah. So if you didn't have the time yet to create this horizontal organization and you want to transition to from a vertical to an horizontal, maybe you, you will you will stay something in, in between, right? But I think it's about working in teams. So you have to transfer the accountability to the team. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you have to give them their objectives and their plan. They have to build their plans for the organization and you know and move this button up. You are in the vertical. So if you ask for accountability, you have to empower them. You have mm-hmm. to give them the power to create the plan, to create the business plan. Don't build the business plan for them. So ask them and engage them to build right. the plan. So it's about yeah, this transferring not also, not only the accountability, but also the power to build the their objectives. Then you have to, to build. As you said, I mean, 
very effective mechanism of communication and feedback. Feedback mm -hmm. is critical. Other difference between the old style of management and this new style of, of management is about the uh, causality principle, if mm -hmm. you want. I mean, it's, uh, in the past, it's cost-effect, and it's very linear. I mean, mm -hmm. you add more, you will get more, okay? That's not happening even in biology. <laughs> I mean, there are feedback mechanisms, there are interferences, there are synergies, and you have to build this. I mean, and this horizontal organization is based on, on these mechanisms of, of non-linear relationships, non-linear connections. And that's why that creates uh, novelty and, mm -hmm. you know, and surprises, but in the benefit of the whole, right? So yeah. you have to be able to, to create these mechanisms of feedback open communications, open feedback, and that's, that's pretty key. So team, I will be this uh, teams at the helm. That might be the, the simplest way of transitioning from one to another uh, paradigm. Right. Thank you so much. I'm getting the impression based on how you're describing some of these things that uh, you, you've uh, informed some of these ideas directly from, uh, from parallels in the laboratory. Is there some truth to that? Okay, I gave you a very clear example. Um, I told you that um, one of the of my roles in um, in GSK has been related with high throughput screening. So uh, I joined I joined a team, a young team, with a very clear mission, and the mission was to industrialize the high the screening. So we built a factory for a screening. So we all were. Uh, scientists coming from universities and from labs, so the traditional way of working in, in science. But our paradigm was the factories, the manufacturing factories, for instance, for cars or any other thing. Is that compatible? So we had to build not only the infrastructure that was a challenge already, the automation, the layout of uh, everything, but the ways of working. So we have to create a new kind, a new paradigm in how we work together, okay? And of course, we had an organigram and we had uh, yeah, a more vertical, if you want, with the managers and the directors and the managers in the lab and then the scientists and the technicians. Of course, we had. But we built, for every single project, we built teams formed by people who were relevant and any kind of, uh, of department from all the departments and with uh, a manager of that team. Once you have created that, they have the accountability, responsibility for delivering what in the time frame with the resources that they are committed to do. Okay. Of course, we had more or less an annual plan, whatever. But, and that's what I, what we all felt that was the most efficient way for, for working. And it worked. It worked very nicely. So is forgetting about where you are in, your, in the organigram, who is your line manager at that moment, because now you're working in this team, okay? And the other, the other important thing is that you have to empower every single individual. They are not more or less important because they are in a different way, in the different position in the organization. Once they are in the team, they have a role. And this role is unique. I mean, and the contribution is unique. If you don't do that job, the team will not succeed. Okay, so you feel important. 
However, in a big organization, if you are that tiny box, you know, at the bottom of this pyramid, okay, that that might be very compressing to me because that I mean I, I can, you know, I can stay here hidden in the shadow of all this. Uh, but now I invited you in this team to be, you know, the lead actor, and that that makes a difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I can tell you that based on my experience that uh, this way of working is delivering. It's really fascinating too, because the more you describe it, the more I think about, you know, I think the the traditional hierarchical scheme is sort of an attempt to fight entropy in the workplace. And what you're advocating for is to deliberately reintroduce it. And so when you were talking, originally I was thinking about, you know, like we could almost define, you know, a a, a rate law for the equilibrium of, you know, different people in the workplace. But in reality, what we're kind of looking at, you know, we don't want to really characterize our workers this way. But when we think about how, you know, animals sort of instinctually organize themselves, it's much more close to what you're describing. Exactly. Exactly. It kind of it kind of sounds like really what you're doing is less uh, sort of proposing a radical new idea and really just kind of getting back to our roots, right? Exactly. Actually, I mean, I went through the same intellectual thinking that you have been going through now, right now, when we had to organize these teams in in the past. And that was my first realization. I mean, when I when I entered my company, I'm doing the things in a completely different way than outside. And when I look outside, I look to colonies of animals, to the flocks of birds, I mean to kids playing in the playground. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't know what's the what are the rules. They don't know who is the boss. I mean and, and they work and they are efficient. So it's about natural intelligence. And mm-hmm. this is about, it's about managing complexity. The complexity is natural, it's in the nature. And right. that doesn't mean that it's complicated. Complication is different to complexity. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I dare to say that complexity is simple. It's very simple because you only need a few and simple roles to govern very complex behaviors is what the theory of chaos is telling us about complex systems. But of course, you have some requisites, but it's not so complicated. And the requisite is, I think you mentioned already, this is energy. You need free energy and you need, you need to be far from equilibrium. I mean, uh, (laughs) you're talking in physical, you know, in physical terms, you have to be far from equilibrium because equilibrium is death. Yeah. However, the old way of organizing is organizing much closer to equilibrium, much closer to death and to complacency. Right. And that's against being adaptable, being quick in your reactions, uh, being alert. You need free energy. If you translate this into individuals, I mean, what's that about? It's about motivation. It's about, you know, good feelings, good teamwork, the environment. This is what energy in individual means, right? right. Simple rules. Of course, communication. So we are not very far from building this environment. But the capital is about natural intelligence, right? Artificial intelligence. I mean, we are <laughs> simplifying. We are simplifying, but we are getting distance, uh, mm-hmm. distant of uh, what it might be more efficient nowadays. It might work right. in the past, but not, not now. I'm convinced of, of that. Yeah, you're right. You're it, right. It's if I were to try to to summarize it a bit, it's the ideas that we. What we're trying to get back to here is not complete chaos, but sort of controlled natural chaos. Yes, right. Exactly. Exactly. That's the key. Is pushing the organization to the edge of right. chaos. 
is bringing order to chaos. But chaos, there's order behind the chaos. Right. You know, right. actually, actually, is <laughs> the same. I mean, because chaos is about order pattern. And right. that's another way so, of seeing. So the organization has to see patterns of order rather than snapshots and screenshots where everything is ordered. No, you have to detect and monitor patterns of order. Actually, that's, that's another idea. It's about, do we need a very precise business plan mm. three years down the road? Does it make sense nowadays? Or should we instead create the environment to monitor everything which is unpredictable? It's going to happen, but we don't know when and right. in which way. But let's create an organization that can monitor this continuously, monitor this, be alert to the new patterns of order that are going are going to happen, and then react to that and adapt to that. I think it's, that's where the competitive advantage is. Otherwise, I mean, you are going to put all the organization, all your culture, you know, serving a plan, which uh, is not going to work because the environment is going to change. You know, in a few months, right. years. Okay, so don't. I mean, don't, <laughs> don't try to be so uh, arrogant to think that you were right. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, and everything. If they change, is because they are wrong. No, right. I mean, let's be more humble. <laughs> yeah. Well, Julio, as as much as I would love to talk for hours, I would love to see if we could find a way to uh, describe the current uh, hierarchical uh, scheme in some sort of variation of the Poincaré recursion theorem. Um, we do have to wrap things up. So my last question is if you could briefly tell me some advice for our younger listeners. You know, we've got you know students and postdocs and early career researchers who are going to be facing some of these organizational issues uh, as they become the leaders of tomorrow, what would be your your one piece of advice for how they can direct their careers in, in the uh, short term? I'm going to use a, a term that was coined, uh, I don't remember now the name of, of the guy, but then this term is called nomads. I don't know if you know that. Nomads? Do you know what the nomad is? Like, like nomad, N-O-M-A-D-S? K-N-O-W-M-A-D. Oh, I'll tell okay. you. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not familiar it's with that. It's a merger between knowledge and nomads. nomads. Hmm. Okay? So I think that the new, the professionals, the young scientists, the young professionals have to be nomads. I mean, they ha- we have to be nomads of knowledge. They have to be moving from one field of knowledge to another field of knowledge. They have to be continuously self-educating, self-training. They have to be open to change, to be adaptable. Mm-hmm. And they have to learn. So the more, I mean, it's, it's about having a, a lateral vision of everything, an integrative vision. So that's, that would be one, one first. The other thing I can tell you is um, forget about organigrams and put the teams at the helm. Be clear, you are a team player. You have to be in the team. Define well the roles of your team members, your teammates realization of what the unique contribution of all of them and build a very effective structure of communications. Put the personal relationship at the help. In the enterprises, in the companies, we are not going there to to make friends. Mm -hmm. No, I'm I'm not saying that we have to make friends. We have to build communications and relationships that are effective with very clear mechanisms of feedback. So teams at the help. 
All right. Um, thank you so much for your time, Julio. I really appreciate getting access to your insight this entire time. Where can our listeners go to learn more about you and your ideas? Okay. Um, I have my personal website. So I'm blogging every now and, and then about these ideas. So actually, I have coined, I have coined another term, which is uh, sign judgment. So which is a, a merger of science and, and management. And it's about think science for management. So you can Google anything that is, is signjudgmentlab.com. And there you can, you can see some of these ideas and as well about my profile, my personal status and Excellent. Yeah, my motivations. And for listeners who are unsure about how to spell uh, Julio's new term, we will put a link in the description so that you can go okay. and read more about this. Thank okay, you fantastic. so much. And so, Thank you, Marshall, for the invitation. It has been a great pleasure to, yeah. to chat with you. All right. Well, until next time, this has been the New Matter Podcast, and we will see you all on the next episode.